Welcome to the Buddha Sasana podcast. This talk was given by Bhikkhu Chintita in Chisago City, Minnesota. On August 4th, I posted a podcast on the body part exercise before I had decided to review all of the exercises in turn. This is an important exercise and a favorite in my practice along with the aggregates exercise that we will get to by and by. Today, I want to take up the body parts exercise once again, but primarily to draw out some various modes of contemplative practice that characterize the exercises in general. But first, let me summarize the high points of the body parts practice. Some may want to go back to listen to my August 4th post. Again, bhikkhus, a bhikkhu reviews this same body up from the soles of the feet and down from the top of the hair, bounded by skin as full of many kinds of impurity thus. In this body there are head hairs, body hairs, nails, teeth, skin, flesh, sinews, bones, bone marrow, kidneys, heart, liver, diaphragm, spleen, lungs, intestines, mesentery, contents of the stomach, feces, bile, phlegm, pus, blood, sweat, fat, tears, grease, saliva, snot, oil of the joints, and urine. To do this exercise, you'll need some knowledge of anatomy so that you can visualize each part in turn. The Buddha actually suggests the order in which to visit the parts in two different ways in this passage. Initially, he refers to the parts from up to the soles of the feet and down from the top of the hair. But the order of the 31 body parts listed suggests a process of beginning with the outer layer of the body and working inward through four layers. The outer layer is head hairs, body hairs, nails, teeth, and skin. Next come flesh, sinews, bones, and bone marrow. This is the musculoskeletal system, which fills out the skin to give shape to the body. Next, we fill in the chest and belly cavities with organs, kidney, heart, liver, diaphragm, spleen, lungs, intestines, mesentery, contents of the stomach. Finally, there are all the fluids and things that ooze throughout the whole body. Feces, bile, phlegm, pus, blood, sweat, fat, tears, grease, saliva, snot, oil of the joints, and urine. Unlike the previous exercises, there seems to be a lot of conceptual work in getting started with locating and scanning through the body parts. In Satipatthana practice, we verify Dhamma experientially, ideally each experiential factor of this process is easily accessible, that is readily apparent with little, if any, conceptual effort. 
However, the body parts exercise is quite distinct from the other exercises we've examined so far in that what we experience is not immediately accessible. It needs to be organized and sorted out conceptually before the practice flows smoothly and quietly. First, the practice requires some knowledge of anatomy, as mentioned, in order to visualize the theme of the exercise, and we must decide how much to fudge in lieu of such knowledge. Can we add parts that are not in the description or omit parts that are? Then we must choose among the options for how we proceed from one embodied part to the next. Do we scan the body for parts, or do we identify each part in the order they're given in the description? How much time do we spend with each part? There's a learning curve involved in all of this. We need to develop or learn a conceptual scheme for accessing the body parts. Then we need to become completely familiar with that scheme and to internalize it so that it is naturally applied without thinking. For this reason, it may require many periods of sitting before we gain immediate access to the body parts. And until we gain immediate access, those deeper states of samadhi will elude us. Notice that the current exercise requires that we visualize most of the body parts in our minds unless we happen to be dissecting a cadaver. Since we are visualizing, this practice is appropriate for the cushion, unlike the bodily action exercise. We glean that meditation or contemplative practice, including satipatthana, comes in different modes from our discussion so far of the satipatthana exercises. We can practice with or without cushion, or with or without visualization, or with or without dhamma, or with or without preparation. These characterize how we are practicing in a given moment or period of time, and generally do not strictly characterize a particular exercise, though, as we've seen, some tend to be associated with particular exercises. Practicing with cushion is the same as being on the cushion as we practice, which is to say that we are in whatever situation we've arranged for the most secluded and undisturbed meditation. The breath exercise is well suited for practice on the cushion because we take the breath wherever we go, but we can certainly return to the breath briefly at arbitrary times during the day, no matter where we happen to be. The bodily actions exercise, on the other hand, will generally be practiced off the cushion because the range of bodily actions that we practice on the cushion is so limited. With visualization is the rule for some exercises, such as the body parts, because our senses have limited direct access to the phenomena under observation. But we know they're there. We just need to picture them in our heads. On the other hand, 
we can detect the breath directly through the physical senses without visualization and also bodily actions and postures. To detect more than a few body parts through the physical senses without visualization is impossible. Many upcoming exercises will also be performed with visualization. With Dhamma means our contemplation examines Dhammic teachings alongside experiential phenomena that verify those teachings. The Dhamma, in the case of the body, feeling, and mind, Satipatthanas, is almost completely confined to the refrain. However, we noted last week that it is a common practice to disregard the refrain in the case of bodily actions. However, if we omit the refrain, we're technically not practicing Satipatthana. For instance, we can be attentive to the breath, or to posture, or to bodily actions, or to body parts as before, yet not worry about if these are impermanent or non-self. Why would we do this? First, it provides a calm abiding. Sometimes we just aren't in the mood to engage in analytical work. Second, as we noted last week, there is value in practicing to improve our ardency, comprehension, proficiency, and unhinderedness for their own sake. This is like idling the engine in the interest and in fine-tuning without putting it into gear in the interest of moving the car. With preparation means that we are negotiating the learning curve for a particular exercise. When we initially undertake an exercise, there is a degree of confusion about what the exercise says and how to undertake the exercise. Sometimes this requires acquiring a grasp of the conceptual framework with which it is described, including that of the refrain. Sometimes this requires developing a plan for the order in which the parts are undertaken. In the breath exercise, we must choose whether to attend to the breath at the nose, in the belly, or do we comprehend the whole physical sensation of the breath at once. In walking, part of either the posture or the action exercise, we must choose whether to attend to the whole posture to the dynamic parts of our changing posture, or simply to the feet. The body parts initially requires much more preparation than the previous exercises, as we have seen potentially boning up on anatomy or simply dealing with the uncertainty of our rough ideas of what is hidden under the skin possibly adding or deleting parts from the Buddha's master list, developing a strategy for scanning the body for parts, or do we identify each part in the order they're given in the description, or possibly manage to sit taking in all of the parts at once? The refrain itself initially requires preparation prior to any of the exercises. This preparate 
preparatory stage will inhibit settling into the higher stages of jhana because of the conceptual thinking involved. The good news is that once we've internalized what we've prepared for, it becomes automatic and requires virtually no more conceptual attention and no more effort. This is through a natural process of skill acquisition that you were all aware of. The same process turned the degree of confusion and planning once required to drive your car into the effortless, almost unnoticed skill with which you now handle your ton of metal and plastic. So don't despair if your mind doesn't settle as you first undertake to practice a new exercise. Be patient. In a week or a month, it will. The basic description of the parts exercise is followed by a simile that I think I forgot to include in my August 4th talk. Just as though there were a bag with an opening at both ends full of many sorts of grain, such as hill rice, red rice, beans, peas, millet, and white rice, and a man with good eyes were to open it and review it thus. This is hill rice, this is red rice, these are beans, these are peas, this is millet, this is white rice. So too a Pico reviews this same body as full of many kinds of impurity thus. In this body there are head hairs, dot dot dot, and urine. The simile involves picking through a bag, grain by grain, as we do with body. This reaffirms that the exercise works through decomposing what we think is the body into separate parts, then asking why we also need another part in addition to those we can actually isolate. This other part is the existential body self as a whole substantial and fixed. The elements exercise, which we'll talk about next week, has a similar simile. But I've always suspected that the two similes got swapped somewhere along the line in early Buddhist history. The elements are earth, water, fire, and air, and are what body parts and anything else physical is composed of. The grain simile seems to fit the elements exercise with six kinds of grains much better than the body parts exercise. Each kind of grain has many instances. The simile we find with the elements exercise, on the other hand, concerns a butcher carving up a cow. I've stated a number of times that for the first three satipatthanas, body, feeling, and mind, Dhamma is almost entirely limited to the refrain and almost entirely absent from the exercises themselves. The body parts exercise is an exception, for its primary paragraph occurs elsewhere as a reflection on repulsiveness employed as an antidote to lust. 
The corpse exercises, which we'll talk about in a couple of weeks, can also serve this function. Generally, our self-image, built upon the presumption of a substantial self, has to do with how we present ourselves to the world socially. We do present ourselves as a body, but that body highlights the face and figure and even the clothing and makeup we adorn it with. Contemplation of the body parts throws that self-image for a loop because mostly it's a lot of blood and guts, slime and filth that become presentable only at the surface. If you are like most people, it seems absurd to want to convince yourself of your own repulsiveness or that of others. It would certainly disrupt your self-esteem, your social life, not to mention your sex life. But suppose you're in the process of breaking up with a girlfriend or boyfriend. Wouldn't it actually be helpful to visualize him or her in this way at this point in your life? Just not to visualize yourself in this way in order to abandon whatever attachment you may have? Well, everyone you are attached to is like this. They all eventually cause you pain unless they manage to outlive you. But few of us are convinced how generally applicable the principle here is unless we get quite advanced in our practice, at which time we will be ready to take up the reflection on repulsiveness as a powerful expression of renunciation. In the meantime, recognizing repulsiveness as we slither through the body parts serves as a further support for external analysis. As we look beyond the internal slime to bring to mind the external body self, and as we consider how these impermanent parts could possibly provide evidence for a substantial body self, why would we want to identify with the body as me or mine? Next week, we'll take up the elements exercise and discuss how we can combine the modes of contemplative practice in many different ways in our meditation practice. The following week, we will take up the corpse exercises. To learn more about the Rethinking the Satipatthana Project, please go to sirigu.org slash chintita. That is S-I-T-A-G-U dot org C-I-N-T-I-T-A.